Hi everyone, Pastor Michael here, and I want to thank you for tuning in to our sermon podcast. I want to encourage you to use this resource in addition to, and not in place, of belonging to a local church body as you grow in your faith. If this sermon is a blessing, would you consider giving back to Springs Church? You could do that by giving on the app or by visiting the gift tab on our website at springs.church. I pray this sermon increases your passion for Christ and helps you grow in your walk with God. Morning, Springs Church. Happy Palm Sunday to everybody. Oh, man, one week until Resurrection Sunday, huh? We're very excited for that in the house. I just want to reiterate just two quick announcements. If you haven't been baptized, let me just tell you, Resurrection Sunday is the day to do it. People come in, they're so excited, there's an expectancy in hearts, there's life flowing. And, and I will say this, for those who haven't been baptized yet, there is something that happens in your Christian walk when you make that decision to make a public confession before everyone that you are following Jesus. Your old life is gone, it is dead, and you're resurrecting in a new life in Christ. I don't care if you've been a Christian 20 years, 30 years, you've been in church all those years, there's something about that public declaration, not hiding in the seats, not sitting in the back, but coming up and being dunked in that tank. I I did it in Bible school. Man, did I feel just like about this big. I felt so ashamed. I'm in Bible school, and I, I don't know if I've ever really been baptized, so I did it before my whole class, but I'm telling you, when I went back to my dorm and I was spending time with Jesus, it just opened something in my heart, taking that step of obedience with the Lord. So if you have not been baptized, I want to encourage you, this is the time to do it. You could sign up at our baptism table after service uh, for the 9 or 11 o'clock next week, uh, and we will get you baptized. Amen? And don't forget our Good Friday service happening at 6.30 on Friday. We're actually going to do a Passover Seder. It's going to be a blessing. We're actually going to go through the Passover meal together and look at the different significance of each element and how that Passover meal foreshadowed Christ to come. It's going to link the Old Testament with the New. You're not going to want to miss that. You're going to be like, man, I I just got a mouthful, like a Bible school just here on Good Friday. So you're going to be blessed with that as well, and we're looking forward to that. Amen? Amen? Okay. Can I do this? Can I take 10 minutes before we get in the Word and speak to you from my heart? Will you allow that as your pastor here at Springs Church? I want to take you on a little bit of a journey that I've been going through uh, for the last, I don't know how long it's been, maybe three years now. Uh, People always come up to me and they always ask me, pastors included, um, what was COVID like for you? always the question as you were pastoring. They say, what was COVID like? How did you and the elders work through that? Was it difficult? Was it trying? You know, what did you have to do? And I always say to them, you know, COVID, although it was scary and it was, it was strange and it was abnormal, it wasn't that big of a deal for us, to be honest. I, I think we already had the technology in place. The live stream was here. We had all the booth. Like, everything was ready to go. I said, what was really difficult for me personally, especially in that season, was actually when Joy... George Floyd died, when, when the riots and the BLM began and that injustice took place, I, I, I said to them, I said, I was in a prayer meeting on a Wednesday night and we were praying over the nation just when it happened. And, and some of you might remember this. And I said, I just got struck with just this weeping. I started crying like you couldn't believe. And this travail came into my spirit. I think I cried up here for about a half an hour or so and did my best to try to get through the service and then dismissed everybody. And I went back to the green room 
And for an hour in the green room, I just wept. 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 And then I went from the green room thinking, well, if I just move my position to my office, maybe this will stop. So I went into my office, and for another hour, I just wept, almost two and a half hours, just weeping. And I was so broken in my spirit. And I kept on saying, God, what is this about? What is going on? And in the weeks that followed, I felt like the Lord was just showing me that things were about to change that things were going to change in our nation, that things were going to change in our personal lives, that things are going to change around the world. There was going to be a shifting that's going to begin to take place. And there was a weeping because there was a lot of trials that were going to be coming ahead. There was a lot of things that we're going to have to face. And I'm almost scared to talk about this because I'm like, man, if I talk to people are going to leave and they're going to go, but I think at some point we got to be honest with where we are in the world. At some point we got to be honest with where we are in our country and in our nation. I think a few weeks later, I don't remember the exact time, but we had three, three days of fasting and prayer. And we got done with the three days of fasting and prayer, and I went to my wife. I said, honey, I, I don't think I'm called to stop yet. I, I think God wants me to keep praying and seeking him. And I, I asked, I said, can I go to the mountains? I said, can I go to the mountains? <laughs> me going to the mountains. But I said, can I go to the mountains? And I went to the elders, and I said, I, I need another three days. Can I go for three days just to pray? And just so you understand, when Pastor Michael goes to the mountains, he doesn't go camping, he, he doesn't go uh, get a lodge or, or, or a cabin. Pastor Michael goes to the Howard Johnson in Buena Vista, that's where I go. And I want air conditioning and heat and I want all those types of things. But I went out there and I got a room and I spent three days just walking around and praying and asking God what he, what he was up to. What, what do you want to say, Lord? What is it you're speaking? And in that time, by the end of the three days, I'll never forget it. Lord gave me a very specific word, wrote it in my journal, and this is what he said to me. He said, I want you to prepare a wilderness church. Exact words. I want you to prepare a wilderness church. I came back, I told the elders, I said, God is calling us to prepare a wilderness church. We prayed about it. What does that mean, a wilderness church? Well, I feel deep in my heart, God's saying things are about to really change. See, when the Israelites were in Egypt, the provision and the blessing was right in front of their face. They could see it. Everything was somewhat stable. Yes, they were in bondage. Yes, they were slaves. But remember what they said. We had the leeks. We had the onions, right? You knew where your meal was coming from every single day. There was absolute provision. There was security. There was stability. But when they went out into the wilderness, God's provision was still there, but they couldn't see it right in front of their face. Every day... They had to walk with trust and faith in God. Every day, it was a deeper level of faith than they've ever experienced before. Now, God was still there. In fact, the Bible says that God went before the people, and he always scouted out where they would camp next. And his provision was always there. They didn't see it with their natural eyes. They came to the water, and they say, it's bitter. And God says, no, 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 no. I already planted a tree. I already had a miracle. I already had something waiting. God always provided but you couldn't see it with your physical eyes. You had to walk at a greater level of faith. It had to be a trust walk with God that they have never experienced before. And I believe with everything in me, God is trying to get a hold of the church. He's saying there are years ahead where the economy is going to begin to shift. There are years ahead where even the world powers and the alignments are going to begin to change. There are years ahead where there's an oppressive force that we're going to experience in this nation, not just on the mission field anymore. 
And God is looking at the church and he's saying, I want to get you prepared. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to fret. I already have a plan. I'm already going to lead you through. But I have to begin to bring up the watershed moment of your faith and your trust because I need you to walk with me. Because when it all happens and it's already begun, God is saying, I want you to become a voice in the wilderness. I want you to be able to stand. I want you to be able to tell people who are panicking. I'm not afraid because I know who's got my back. God is trying to purge. God is trying to purify. God is trying to consecrate. God is trying to prepare. That's what he's up to. And I know there's people in this room. And I know there's people online say, Pastor Michael, we don't want to talk about this. We don't want to hear this type of stuff. Listen to me. The writing is on the wall. You do not need to be a prophet to understand where we're headed. It is there. And you could stick your head in the ground and you could hide from it all you want. Or you could say, no, 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 no. God has already provided for me to be able to stand in this place. I'm going to take everything he's got and I'm going to stand. I came back from these things in my spirit and, and I started asking for more direction from God. And some of it I felt like he gave in prayer and some of it through the wisdom of the elders and myself talking in conversations, Pastor Dave and myself discussing this, Pastor Billy. And I said, you know what? We're going to put our stake in the ground in this house. We're going to have a house of prayer. That's where it's all going to begin. Wednesday night is going to be prayer. I'm not going to be able to pastor the way I want to pastor sometimes because I'm going to be at prayer. I will be at prayer. And this church will learn to pray. That is the first place in a wilderness church that you have to learn. you got to learn to pray. you got to learn to seek the face of God. you got to learn to call out to God together, not just in your individual homes, but as a corporate body with one another. It's got to become a priority. And I said, I'm going to make it a priority. We're going to pray. And I started getting into the word, and God would start giving messages. And you know some of the words that God has given in this house. Do you know how many times I've been at home and said, God, I can't preach this? Are you kidding me? I don't want to preach this. I've looked at my wife. How many times have I said to you, I hate preaching? How many times? I said, this is the worst. This is the absolute worst. And by the grace of God, I've gotten up. By the grace of God and the grace of God alone. And you've heard some of the messages. God is trying to purify. God is trying to prepare. God is going deep in our hearts. He's putting the plumb line down. He's saying, this is where you need to stand. This church, by the grace of God, will be a church built on the word. It will be the word and it will be prayer. That's what it will be. On top of that, I started coming in and saying, you know what, talking with the elders, I, I feel like the church has to get back to a place of relying more deeply on the Holy Spirit. We need to wait in His presence more. We need to listen for His voice more. And we stopped the altar calls and we would sit and we would wait. And I set that up in some measures, not just for us corporately, but for you to learn in your own life how to wait on God, how to listen for his voice. Because the days ahead, you have to understand, they're not going to be cut and dry, black and white like you think. There's going to be complexities. And you need to know, do I go left? Do I go right? What do I do in my job? Am I bending my knee to bail right now or am I standing up for God? Where are the places? Where are the lines? And it will be different for everybody. You can't just come into my office and give you a one-fit-all for what we're about to go through. You have to learn the voice of God for yourself. you got to learn his conviction. 
And I said, we're going to learn how to wait on the Holy Spirit. We're going to learn to seek the Holy Spirit. We're going to believe the Holy Spirit can speak. He'll speak through his word. He'll give us direction. And then I started saying, you know what? I think we need to begin to operate more in the spiritual gifts. I think these things that have lied dormant for so long have to be stirred back up. There must be words of knowledge. There must be words of wisdom. There has to be things of prophecy that unlock the secrets of the heart. The word first. It is our foundation. It is our foundation. But the scriptures say in the book of James that every perfect gift comes from God. Every good gift from the Father of lights. That word good means the superlative. means the absolute best. God doesn't give something that's not the absolute best. Needed for his body. Needed for our lives. Needed for our walk with him. The problem is we have been in such a blanket of blessing and security for so long that we have not needed the Holy Spirit. We got a little taste of it when we went to the mission field. When, when you go to a country and you sense the demonic oppression. When you go to India and you'd sit in front of a Hindu temple. When you'd go to Israel and you'd wake up in the morning and you'd listen to Dome of the Rock blasting all the mosque and all, and you could feel the darkness that starts coming on your neck. You could feel it in the regimes and in communism in countries that walk through Ukraine and Russia, what they felt. We haven't needed that because we haven't experienced that. But I am warning you with love and kindness in my heart, you are going to feel that in the days ahead. There is an oppression that we're going to experience. You're going to put on the news and no more good news anymore. It's going to be one thing after another and another injustice and another issue and another person doing this and another. And you're going to sense the oppression. You're going to sense it. And when you feel that place of oppression, you understand how you need the Holy Spirit every day. You need the comforter every day. You need to walk with him. You need every gift. You need the word of God. You need every tool in the belt that God gives Not just to get through, but to be able to stand and be more than a conqueror. That's what scripture says. Now, with all that said, there's some challenges. We've grown as a church. Last week, we had over 1,000 people in our auditorium or, or in the church as a whole. I think there was 800 in the auditorium. I never expected to pastor a church of 1,000 people. Not in a million years. There are days I'd walk around and say, God, if they knew how little I know, <laughs> nobody would be here. I will not shy away from waiting on the Holy Ghost. I will not shy away from listening to the voice of God. But I will say this, the church is too big for me to be able to orchestrate and run that from this pulpit anymore. I can't do it the way I used to in the fasting and the prayers and up here when people at our altars. So listen to me. We need to put an area of order in the church, and I want you to understand this. As we go forward as a body, if you have a word on your heart, if you have something God might give you as an edification to the church, we will open up doors for that. We feel it aligns with what God is doing, but the gatekeeper is not me anymore. The gatekeepers will actually be the elders Pastor David, the pastors, and their wives. In fact, let me ask elders in the room if they could just stand for a second. If you could just stand. I only have Barry right here, but I have Pastor Dave. Pastor Dave, you could stand as well. Gary Barkalow is not here, I don't think, today. And I don't think, Billy's obviously not here. 
But if you have something on your heart, you can go to these men and to their wives and you could just lay it on them, let them know what's going on, and they will find the proper place in the services to be able to open that up together. Amen? I'm, I'm not mad at anybody. I'm not, and I want you to know that there will be grace here in utilizing gifts. I'm not going to rip people apart, but I want to be able to put a proper order in the house. And for now, this is how the order will operate. And... And listen to me, I will be speaking on these gifts coming up with a series coming in June. I'm going to share about them and teach on every one so that we are clear. And, and most people say, well, I know most of the gifts. I'm going to talk about the sign gifts, the other, all of it together, and we're going to have a biblical perspective with each other. Amen? Amen. So if you do have something, this is my heart. I'm not going to shy away from the Spirit. I'm not going to shy away from what the, the Holy Ghost do. I'm not going to shy away. But we just ask that you would go to the elders or to the pastors, even in the service, and say, God has put this on my heart. What do you think? And they will open up the times together. Amen? Amen? All right. Let's pray, and let's get into the Word together. I don't want anybody falling under a spirit of fear. You're all going to stand in the days ahead, but God in His grace is going to prepare us. Amen? Amen. Father, we thank you for your goodness this morning, Lord. God, I am so grateful for your Word. And I come to you today and say, God, let this be a preparatory Word in our hearts. I pray, God, that you would begin growing us in a greater measure of trust and faith than we've ever walked before. I pray we would understand every promise. We would understand every work that Christ has established in our lives. You would give us a spirit of revelation. You would give us a spirit of wisdom to be able to see it. His love, his forgiveness, his justification, his sanctification, God, that we would walk in all these things. We'd walk in a new heart, a new spirit, God. And you would begin to challenge areas in our lives where we're not walking in it, God. You would say, give that to me. You would bring us to to a point of surrender by your grace that we would be able to stand Lord God that we would be able to worship that we would be a light on a hill Lord a light on a hill for our neighbors our families the generation ahead God let that be something that you even begin and you establish today through the word I ask in Jesus name amen amen all right I have a message today that I have entitled who is rearranging your furniture who is rearranging your furniture? If you have a wife like mine, I could tell you right off the bat, it's your wife. Amen. But uh, we're going to get into it. Amen. My wife loves to decorate. She loves, she's such a creative person. Turn to Luke chapter 19. I'm going to read verses 32 through 46 together in the NIV. Turn there. And here we go. Verse 32. And let's get into this. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, Why are you untying the colt? They replied, The Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus. They threw their cloaks on the colt and put Jesus on it. And as he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, If they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. As he approached Jerusalem and he saw the city, he wept over it. And he said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. Now verse 45. When Jesus entered the temple courts, he began to drive out those who were selling. It is written, he said to them, my house will be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. Now, Palm Sunday, 
is a time of year that we remember and we celebrate Jesus riding into Jerusalem on a donkey triumphantly. This was Jesus revealing himself and being proclaimed as king. And now when you read through the text, most of us, we, we stop at the part and we focus on the donkey. We focus on the palm branches. We focus on the clothes. We focus on the crowds crying, Hosanna and the highest. Blessed be he who comes in the name of the Lord. I've even preached on this scene. I, I've talked about how ridiculous it must have been for the Roman soldiers who were literally watching the king of the Jews coming into the capital city riding a donkey, a colt, an unridden donkey, not on the back of a chariot being pulled by a bunch of horses. I mean, how silly it must have looked with them throwing old clothes and palm branches on the ground and them celebrating. This was a contrast, I mean a contrast, compared to how the Roman emperors would have come into their capital city of Rome in the back of a chariot with all their horses, with the army behind them, with all the people that they have conquered being pulled in chains. This is a contrast of after the Roman emperor would have conquered a foreign land or a foreign enemy and would have stood there declared as the king. Normally, that's where most pastors and preachers stop in the text. Jesus, right? Jesus, the king of the Jews. Jesus, the triumphant king. But the text actually goes on. See, Jesus didn't just ride the donkey into Jerusalem and proclaim himself king. Listen to me. Jesus rode the donkey into the temple and proclaimed himself to be king. Jesus rode into the temple and then we get... One of, I think, the craziest and the strangest passages in all of the four Gospels. We get this Jesus who is meek, who is mild, who is gentle. This Jesus who said, come unto me, all who labor and are weary, and I'll give you rest. This Jesus who said, take my yoke upon you. It's easy. My burden is light. The Jesus that said, blessed are those that mourn, for they will be comforted. This Jesus of comfort, this Jesus, this picture of Christ, suddenly on Palm Sunday... He's got thunder in his voice. He's got fire in his eyes. He's making a whip out of cords. He is beating people. He is flipping over tables. He is yelling. He is screaming. He is pouring out his wrath. This is the only recorded act of violence done by Jesus. And we have to ask ourselves a question. We have to think about it and say, why? Why? Let me put this up on the screen. I want you to see it. I want you to pay attention to this because this is going to be our thesis for the rest of the sermon. This is, this is what is going to lay the groundwork. On Palm Sunday, Jesus didn't just come to Jerusalem and declare himself as king. Are you ready? This is important. Jesus came to the temple and declared himself to be king. Now, that is important. Well, why? Well, to understand it, you have to grasp what the temple represented, what the temple was. Otherwise, you won't get why Jesus didn't just declare himself king over the Jews and king over Jerusalem. He declared himself king over the temple. See, most people miss the importance of the temple because they think of the temple as kind of like a larger or a bigger synagogue. Okay? They think the temple was just another place that the Jewish people went to learn about the law, learn about Moses, learn about the prophets, go and find a community of believers. They have this idea that the temple was kind of like the megachurch of the day. And all the other synagogues throughout the Roman Empire were like the house churches. 
right? And they think what was going on in the house church must be what was happening in the temple, only at a larger scale and with more people. But when you think like that, you'll miss the whole point of the temple. See, up to this point, the Holy Spirit hadn't been poured out, which means the manifest presence of God wasn't in any of the synagogues. The only place that the manifest presence of God, the Shekinah glory, dwelt in Jesus' time was at the temple, which meant if you wanted to go and meet with God, if you wanted to seek His face, you had to travel from all over the world to that specific location. You had to go to the temple. Now, some of you might be thinking, well, I mean, Pastor Michael, wasn't, wasn't God's presence everywhere in the Old Testament? I mean, isn't his presence everywhere today? Didn't David write it in the Psalms that even if I make my bed in hell, there you are? Well, yeah, it's true that the presence of God is everywhere right now, that the presence of God was everywhere back then. But the manifest presence of God, and, and you got to grasp this, it had a specific address. It had a specific location. It's hard for us to understand that because the Holy Spirit has been poured out. We could come in on a Sunday morning and experience the That wasn't what it was like in Jesus' time. That's not what it was like. You could come here and seek God's face. You wanted to seek God's face. You want to enter his courts of thanksgiving. You had to go to a specific location. You had to go to the temple. And if you don't grasp that, you begin to miss out on all the beauty of the biblical narrative. You miss it. Let me try to explain it the only way I can. With motorcycles. I love old vintage Harley-Davidson motorcycles. In fact, I had two bikes dropped off this week by a good buddy of mine in New Jersey. He pulled up outside my house. He had a trailer full of bikes. I think there was 10 bikes in the back. And, and when my buddies show up, the whole neighborhood goes on neighborhood watch. Right, honey, how many people started calling you? They were calling her. There is somebody outside. This guy, I don't know, he's tattooed. He is tattooed all over the place. I'm getting my gun. I'm just going to, should I shoot him? He's outside your house. No joke. No joke. Right? You got the calls. Right? I, I finally met him, my buddy, and we unloaded a few bikes together and we got everything in. I said, Josh, get out of the neighborhood before they kill you. Get out of here. Get out. Come to the church anytime you want, but they're going to they're gonna stone you, brother. I love old vintage Harley-Davidson motorcycles, and, and there's just a rich history, especially through the 1900s, when it comes to the Davidson brothers and William Harley. The Davidson brothers made a tremendous impact on America's society. I mean, the motorcycle, Harley-Davidson, the American motorcycle became part of Americana. It became part of our history as a nation, our story. And back then, the Davidson brothers and Harley Davidson, towards the end of their lives, they became famous. I mean famous. Everybody back in the 1900s knew what the brothers actually looked like. They had seen pictures and posters of them, right? They had seen what they had done and what they created. The, the V-twin motorcycle. They read about their creation. Even more than that. Even more than that. They actually saw the Davidson brothers' handiwork on every street corner and every garage. Harley Davidson, the Davidson brothers, they, they were praised for their ingenuity. But 
If you wanted to have an intimate relationship with one of these men, if you wanted to sit down and actually talk to them face to face, you had to find out where they lived. You had to go to their location. And the same thing was true in the Old Testament. You wanted to see God. You wanted to literally go and find him. You had to go back to the temple. The Bible says that every human being has a sense of God in their heart. We see his handiwork out in creation. Our conscience bears witness that there is a God. But again, in Jesus' time, if you wanted to meet with him, you couldn't do it on your bed. You couldn't do it out in the fields. You couldn't do it in the... You had to go to the temple. Let me show you something. I'm going to put this up on the screen, and I want you to get this. Because God was doing something through the temple, and you have to understand it. This is what God was doing. God was showing the world through the temple. Are you ready? That it was his desire not just to be God over his creation and humanity, but his desire that we would know him personally. God was saying that there's a place where you can go and know me. Not just know about me, but a place to actually Know me. God set up all the sacrifices. He set up the whole temple, all the furnishings to be able to make that declaration to humankind. That's what it was all about. But the temple wasn't just the place where the presence of God dwelt physically. Are you ready? The temple was also the place of sacrifice. It was the place of sacrifices being given for sin. It was the place where sacrifices and the blood of those sacrifices would atone for sin. See, if you wanted to meet with God, there had to be a sacrifice. If you wanted to know Him, if you wanted to hear His beauty, if you wanted to gaze at His glory and His majesty, if you want to understand His love and His kindness and who He was then you had to actually go and kill something. You had to take an animal. You had to offer it for your sins. See, all of this, and and this is what you got to get. This is where you got to track with me. All of this was showing the world that Jehovah, the God of the Jews, was different than any other God that had ever been worshipped. All of this was proclaiming to everyone. See, in the East, and you have to understand, they believed that God was infinite. They believed that God was absolute. But he wasn't personal. He was an absolute force. But you couldn't actually know him. He wasn't like a person that you could go and talk with. You couldn't find out what was the burden of his heart. You couldn't find out what grieved him. You couldn't know those types of things. But then in the West, especially in Rome and in Greece, their gods, listen to me, they were personal, but they weren't infinite. They weren't absolute. Their gods were knuckleheads. They were constantly bickering with each other and fighting with each other and getting jealous with each other and getting drunk with each other. They weren't perfect. They weren't infinite. But you can know them. You can understand them. God, through the temple, was making a declaration to mankind that he is both infinite and personal. He is both holy and loving. God, through the temple, was saying that I want to dwell with you. And you can actually seek my face. You can know me. 
You can know my heart. He says, I want to express things about myself that provoke responses inside of you. Responses of love. Responses of awe. Responses of fulfillment. But he's also a God that's infinite and absolute. Which means you can't approach him. You can't just come into the temple without dealing with your sin. You couldn't just walk in casually. Now I know, I said this in the first service, I'll say it again. I know there'll be people online, not in this service, you people, the online people <laughs> who are sitting home, and I guarantee they're saying, well, Pastor Michael, that, that doesn't sound like a loving God. That sounds like that cranky, angry God of the Old Testament again. Right? And I know it, but think this all the way through, just for a second, just think about it. Imagine if you adopted an orphan. Imagine you adopted an orphan girl and, and you sacrificed your whole life for her. I mean, you made everything. You poured in everything to her. And before she's going to college, you empty your bank accounts. You empty all the money that you have and you give her your life savings. You give her it all. And then she goes off and you never hear from her again. Not only do you never hear from her again, but she disappears. She actually doesn't go to college. And months later, you find out through a few people, she's living in New York and she's living the life. She's got an apartment. She's burning through the cash. She's burning through the money, all types of irresponsible living. She's got all types of Louis Vuitton bags, Prada shoes, designer glasses. She's hanging out at restaurants. She's going out to the parties. She does it for a year or two. She runs out of the money and then she just comes home. She comes, she walks right in the door. She sits down on the couch where you're reading and she just starts chatting away as if nothing happened. Now let me ask you something. What would you say to that orphan girl? I know what some people in this room would say. I know it. You'd say, wait a second, wait a minute. You just can't come in here and act as if nothing's wrong. You just can't come in here, chat away, and act as if nothing happened. We have to deal with the breach of trust. We have to deal with the betrayal. We have to deal with the injustice of you taking all of my money and just wasting it away and then ignoring me. See, the Bible says that we are in the exact same situation with God. Right? God created us. He gave us our gifts. He gave us our talents. He provided our jobs. He provided our money so we could be able to live. He allows our breath, our lungs to take their next breath. And the question then becomes, do we actually stop for a second and give him the thanksgiving and the honor that's due him? Do we take time to have a heart of gratitude? Or do we act as if all those things are just ours and go do whatever we want with them? It's the same thing. See, if you really want to meet with God, if you want to know him personally, any human being that was being honest, I mean really honest, would know that you have to deal with the breach of trust. You have to deal with the betrayal. You got to do something about it. God isn't cranky. God isn't angry like we think. He wants to have an intimate relationship, but there's a breach. There's a breach that actually has to be fixed first. See, the temple actually offered a sacrificial system. The temple offered an altar 
where literally the breach, the betrayal, could be covered over through an animal sacrifice. That's how it worked. So you have to track with me so far before we could go any further and we could get to our main point of the message. You have to understand what the temple was actually about before you understand why Jesus said that he was king of the temple. The temple was the place where you went to go meet with God. The temple was the place that the presence of God dwelt. The temple was the place you could go face to face with the Lord where you could come into his presence. But the temple was also the place of sacrifice. That, that was the only place that the breach, the breach could be fixed or it could be covered over so that you can enter into the presence of God. But then Jesus said something so profound in John chapter 2 after he cleanses the temple, as he gets everybody up. Watch what he says. I want you to see this. John chapter 2, I'm going to read verses 18 through 22. He says this. The Jews then responded to him, what sign could you show us to prove your authority to do all this? They were talking about the cleansing of the temple. Jesus answered them, and watch this, destroy this temple, and I will raise it again in three days. They replied, it's taken 46 years to build this temple, and you're going to raise it up in three days? But the temple he had spoken of, ready for this, was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken to them. Now watch this, because according to John chapter 2, Jesus actually declares himself to be the final temple. He actually says that he is the temple. Now what in the world does that mean? Well, think it all the way through. The temple was the place that you went to go meet with God where you could have a relationship with the Lord. But the temple was also the place of sacrifice, where the breach could be covered and be fixed. Jesus is saying that in him, both of those things have been fulfilled. That's what he's saying. He said, I am the temple. Don't you get it? I am here through a relationship with me, through what I'm about to do on the cross. You can now have the presence of God in your life. It doesn't have to be just at a specific location. Anywhere you are, you could talk to God. You're going to have an open heaven. And he says, not only that, but I am here to fix the breach. I am here to fix the betrayal. I am here to fix the injustice so you could walk in the presence of God. He says, it's fulfilled in me. Now, here's the question. And this is where the message starts Rubber hits the road. Are you ready? How do you know that the breach, how do you know that the sin issue in your life actually has been fixed, that it has been dealt with, and now you are walking in a living relationship with God? How do you know? Well, Jesus shows us through the gospel narratives of Palm Sunday. The Bible said that Jesus rode into the temple, the place that you meet God face to face, and the place of sacrifice. He rode in as king. He came in as king, and he began to rearrange all of the furniture. He drove out the money changers. He drove out the sellers. He flipped over all the tables. You gotta let that sink in. How do I know that Jesus is in my heart? How do I know that he's really come in? It's easy, easy. Whenever Jesus shows up and he brings the presence of God in our lives and he brings the sacrifice to fix the breach, whenever Jesus does that, he always comes as king and he always rearranges the furniture. That's how he comes. He says, I'm the king of this place. I'm the king of fixing the breach. I'm the king of the presence of God. I'm the king. I have pastored a number of people over the years, and they have, they have sat with me, and they said this. They said, I believe in God, 
Now, as soon as I hear that, that's not the best statement because James actually says even the demons believe in trouble. But they start that way. They say, I believe in God. But I believe it's my decision to decide what is right and wrong for my own life. See, when God comes in, he always comes in as king. He doesn't put together a seminar for us to sit down and then sit with us and say, you know what, I, I really like to hear what you think would be a good use of your gifts and talents in your life. I, I, I would like to know. I'm not trying to be facetious. I'm just being honest. That's not what he does. He doesn't begin to say, you, you know what, how do you feel about sleeping with that boy or that girl before you get married? Do you think that'd be a good decision? And I want to be very sensitive here because I know this is a trial to a lot of people, but he also doesn't say, which sexuality would you like to be? Would you like to be this? Would you like to be that? How do you feel about it? What do you think? Jesus doesn't talk like that. If you're sitting in a church and that's the message, that's not Jesus. He's loving, he's kind, he is gentle, but make no mistake about it, he's the king. He is the king. It's his word. See, when Jesus shows up, he fixes the breach. He, he fixes the betrayal between us and God. He, he brings us into a living relationship with the Holy Spirit, with himself, and with the Father. That's what he does. But when he does that, he always does it as king. And he always, always rearranges the furniture. How can you know that Jesus is living in your heart? How do you know you've been truly born again? Well, I'm going to give you the sign. Are you ready? Do you sense the conviction of the Holy Spirit when you do something that goes against this? Do you sense the conviction of the Holy Spirit when you do something that goes against the very character of God? Does it bother you? Are you up at night, unable to sleep? Do you feel the anxiousness in your spirit of that conviction? Does it drive you to a place of repentance? Does it drive you into the loving arms of Jesus? Or can you continue on just doing it, aligning yourself with things in society that you know are wrong, and just come in the house of God and worship and do what you want and walk right back out and never even worry about it? See, the sign that Jesus is living in your life, the sign that the breach has been fixed, the sign that you have the presence of God is not goosebumps on Sunday morning during a worship service, although thank God for that. It's not even the fact that you come to church, although thank God for that. It's not the fact that I have a relative or a brother or a father or a mother who knows the Lord. I thank God for that. But that's not the sign. That's not what shows you whether or not you truly be born again. The question always, can the Holy Spirit convict you? Do you respond to the conviction of the Holy Ghost? Is Jesus actually king in your life? That's the sign. He says, I'm king of the temple. I'm king of the place where you meet God face to face. And I'm king of the place where the sacrifice of sin has been made to fix the breach. And if you want those things, you have to accept me as king. I used to minister downtown with a good friend of mine, Adam Field, and we'd preach the gospel together, and someone came up to me, and we were talking about Jesus being king, and we were talking, he said, I just can't, I can't get it. How does that work with salvation? I said, easy. Give me a dollar bill. Gave me a dollar bill. I ripped it in half. He said, what are you doing? I said, just watch. Salvation is two parts of a whole. You can't accept Jesus as your savior and not accept him as your king. 
He comes as one. See, if I go into the store, if I go into a market and give half of a dollar and say, I'd like to buy something, they're going to look at me and say, well, that doesn't work. And yet we do that in our salvation. We come to God and say, we will cut the dollar in half. We'll cut the salvation in half. And I will have God's salvation, but I will not have him as king. And what Jesus is showing us through this passage, especially on Palm Sunday, that they're one of the same. See, see God said this, what I have joined together, let no man tear apart. You can't tear it apart. Recently, Jesus has been rearranging some furniture in my life. Anyone ever deal with that? <laughs> I shared about this a few weeks ago, and I'm still working on it, but I, I just started getting distracted. Just too much news. Sometimes I just can't believe what's even happening. I just I, I sit there staring at it like it's a car wreck in front of me, and it's just too much news. I was watching news, and then I was on Instagram trying to veg out, looking at old motorcycle races, thinking, man, this is what I should be doing in life, racing motorcycles. And it was just too much entertainment. And the Lord very kindly was just beginning to, to speak. He was rearranging some furniture. I didn't stop praying. I just couldn't concentrate on him the way I used to. I, I couldn't hear his voice in prayer the way that I used to. And, and the conviction of the Lord, very lovingly, very kindly, but as king, he started coming over my life. And he started speaking. He says, you might have a prayer life but you don't have a radical, consecrated spirit of prayer. I said, oh God, I want that. I feel, I feel you moving some things around. I want to walk in that. Can I end the message with one final thought? One last thing I, I just want to touch on. I want you to see this. There was nothing technically wrong with the money changers or those selling the animals back in Jesus' day in the temple. Technically, that was part of the sacrificial system. The issue was, is that the sellers were inside the courts of the temple. They were inside the temple, and they were crowding God out. How can you know that Jesus is actually living in your heart, living in your life? One of the ways you'll always know is Jesus will begin to find things inside of you that have gotten too far in. That's what he does. See, it's not even bad things. It's not even wrong things. Sometimes they're good things. Sometimes they're right things. They're just too far in. And see, when a good thing gets too far in, it always begins to crowd God out. That's how it works. For example, listen to me. Is there anyone here today, honestly, that had parents who built their whole lives around you? Maybe you have parents that stayed together. They didn't get divorced because of you. Maybe you have a parent that literally got up every day and continued on and maybe even stayed alive because of you. They made you their whole life. They made you the center of their lives. They made you the meaning of their lives. Now, let me ask the question for those that have been in families like this, what was it like living, being the center of somebody's life? It was horrific, right? It was absolutely punishing. You can never please them. They're always trying to control you. You're always fighting with them. Why? Why? Because they can't live without you being the thing they need you to be to them. They need you to give to them the perfect mother-daughter relationship. They need you to give to them the perfect father-son relationship. Why? Because you are all they got. 
Let me put this up on the screen. I want you to see this. I want you to write this down. I want you to get this. Anything that gets too far into your heart that isn't God, watch this, ultimately tries to take the role of God, and it will always cause destruction because nothing but God can bear the burden of being God to you without destroying you. I want to read that again. Are you ready? Anything that gets too far into your heart that isn't God ultimately tries to take the role of God and it will always cause destruction because nothing but God could bear the burden of being God to you without destroying you. I don't care if it's a career or a job that's gotten too far in. I don't care if it's a relationship that has gotten too far in. I don't care if it's a dream that has gotten too far in, a calling that's gotten too far in, a church, a ministry. It does not matter. When it gets too far in, it always causes destruction. When you fail at your job, when you don't get promoted the way you thought you were going to, when the relationship goes sour, when the dream begins to be delayed or it starts being changed, it always starts to punish you. It destroys you. It tears you apart mentally. It tears you apart emotionally. It tears you apart sometimes even physically because those things don't belong there. Only God could carry the burden of being God in the center of our lives. Nothing else could carry that burden. It will always destroy and punish you. You will never, never be able to live up to it. You will always fail it. You will always mess it up. And it will always destroy. It will always break you. Jesus is saying he is the temple. He's saying that he's the king of the temple. He's the one that brings us into an intimate relationship with God. He's the sacrifice that fixes the breach. But he always comes into the heart as king. And he always comes to rearrange the furniture and to go after the things that just got too far in. Let me close with my final thought. Because a message like this begins to scare people begins to frighten people in church. And the reason they start getting scared is because they're afraid to have to surrender full control to God to allow Jesus to be king, to allow him to rearrange the furniture. We're afraid to yield control because we want to be in control. And the sick illusion is we think we're in control. We're never in control, but we want it. And I began praying about this this last week, saying, God, how do I get a church, and even myself, to get to a place where we trust you so implicitly, trust you so much that we let go of the control, we let you be king, we let you rearrange the furniture, we let you go after the things that are just too far in. How do I finally get to a point where I can explain it to my own life and then to the congregation? And as I'm thinking about it this week, it begins to dawn on me. And I began to see something that I've never seen before. And I'll give you the illustration, the way I began to write it, the way I began to put it in my own journal. And I want you to imagine this. Imagine a billionaire showed up at your house one day. And I'm not just talking about a billionaire. I'm talking about somebody worth three, four hundred billion dollars. They show up. You're hanging out in the garage. You're working on motorcycles like me. You're cleaning the house. You're doing whatever you want. And a billionaire walks in. And the billionaire stops you. And he says, you know what? I want you to know something. I want you to see something. All my assets and all my money and all my earnings. I got gold in Switzerland. I got assets over here. I got currency. I got yen. I got all this stuff. I got everything. Everything I got is probably worth anywhere from three to $400 billion. And then the billionaire looks at you and says this. He says, what are you worth? 
And you're thinking, you're like, oh man, what am I worth? What am I worth? And you start scrounging around and you're pulling out, here's $100. I think those shoes that I just bought, they're $50. And then you think, what assets do I got? I got something around. I got a Timex watch. That's $30 right there. And then you're thinking, the food in my fridge, that's like 50 bucks. I got 50 bucks of food. And you're putting it all together. And then you say, I'm probably worth about five or $600. And then imagine if the billionaire said this, I'll tell you what, here's what I'm going to do. You give me everything you got. Give me the five or $600. And I'll give you everything I got. You get all of it. You get the three, four hundred billion dollars. Now let me ask you something. What would you say? Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Oh my gosh. I'm not even going to pretend that I'm not carnal. If my wife came home, I said, we're buying an island. (laughs) We're leaving. Yes, we'll take care of missionaries. But we're going to the Maldives, baby. We're going to live. We're going to have it all. That's what I'd be thinking. I'd be like, yes, are you kidding me? Here's the five or six. Here's the food in my fridge. Here's the shoes on my feet. Here's everything. You want my pants? You want my shirt? It's all yours. I'd give it all away. In Christ, that's exactly what God is offering us. That's exactly Give me your little dreams. Give me your relationships. Give me your future. Give it to me. Give me everything you got. And God's saying, and I'll give you everything I got. I'll give you peace. I'll give you joy. I'll give you fulfillment. I'll set you free of your sins. I'll give you a future with all types of good works that I've already predestined from the beginning of time. He says, I'll give it all to you. You'll walk in it and you'll live in it. Give me what you got, and I'll give you everything I got. And then God says this, you still don't believe me? This is what blew my mind. This is what God showed me this week, because that's still not enough to trust him. But you know what God says? You still don't believe me? I guarantee it. How does God guarantee it? He says this, because I already gave you the most precious thing that I had. I gave you my son. He says, if you don't believe that, I'll give you the rest. This was not just my down deposit. This was the kitten caboodle. Everything else comes with him. That's what Romans said, right? That's what the book of Romans says. He says, he who has not withhold his own son from us, how will he not give us everything that pertains to life in God? How? How will he not give it to us? God is saying, I've already given it, and I will be faithful to give it all. Just give me the measly $500. Stand with me, Spring Church. Stand with me. I like to do this this morning. I just like to take a moment just to worship God, just to take a moment closing together as a congregation, just a song of worship, and then we'll dismiss. And just as you do that, maybe you want in your own gesture, in your own way, whether you feel like you have to surrender something or you just want to reaffirm that to God, maybe just lift your hands and say, God, it's yours. In fact, we're going to sing that last song, right? He's my shelter. He's my, I told them in the first service, they're prophetic. That's literally God saying, here's everything I got. I'm your shelter. I'm your healer. I'm I'm everything. And maybe we respond today as we sing it, say, God, here's everything I got. Amen. Worship team, let's sing it together, and then we'll close in prayer, and we'll dismiss. Thanks again for listening to our Springs Church podcast. For other exciting content from Springs Church, be sure to visit us online at springs.church. If you'd like to partner financially with Springs Church, you have the opportunity to give by visiting the Give tab of our website, springs.church.